I'm excited to, uh, to talk with you today. This is a great day. I feel it. Um, you know, a lot of you may not know this about me. Some of you probably do that know me a little better. But uh, before being called into ministry full time, which was almost uh, three years ago, be three years ago next January, I came from a background, a career in the business world. Uh, I had a financial services business for about six years in my early 20s and then made some transitions and uh, ended up being a part of helping to run a, a family business for a number of years, actually multiple businesses uh, at, at one time there. And so you know, I did that for about a decade before God really pulled on me and, and just brought me into the ministry, you know, um, which was awesome. But one of the things that I really learned a lot about in the, in the business world was just success, you know, and achievement and really persevering and uh, achieving things that most people don't necessarily achieve. And it's not because they lack the ability or the capacity. It has a lot to do with just persistence and perseverance and sticking through it, you know. I, I used to think a lot of times that when you see successful people that Successful people just had something maybe that other people didn't, and so they were already predisposed to, you know, whatever, being famous or having money or just building things, whatever it may be. And I really came to learn through experience, and I treasure this very much. I saw people that you would have never imagined just by basic, maybe we'll call skill sets or giftings or appearance, you would never necessarily imagine that they would be. Uh, you know, incredibly successful and really achieving amazing, worthwhile things. But then you see that they've gone on to do such inspiring, achieve such inspiring things. And, and what you find out behind the scenes is that really what they did is they just kept going and they kept persevering and they kept, you know, following through with what was on their heart and what they were passionate about. There was this idea this mentality that was basically like a never quit mentality and they were able to pursue push through every adversity that came I learned that adversity is not a bias or uh, it doesn't have a, an opinion about who it visits it visits everybody and so none of us just get lucky and and it isn't like some people get lucky and others don't there's always challenges there's always issues that face every single person but where the separation occurs are the people that are able to keep their head down and keep moving forward and keep sticking to what they know they need to do to push through it and uh, I also learned that that type of relentless behavior that that persistence can be uh, something to achieve wonderful, amazing, great things, but it can also be to a, a destruction, you know? There's people that have gone uh, forward with this relentless pursuit to go to, to achieve personal power, uh, tyrants. You know, you take like Hitler, for example. I would say that was a, a person, a man that was relentless in his pursuit to what he believed, but the outcome was obviously tragedy and destruction that occurred as a result of that. So I guess what I'm saying to kind of open this up today is that human beings, you know, we all have the capacity to achieve amazing or to just pursue, persist, and keep going in the event, in the face of anything that comes our way, we all have the capacity to do that. None of us are separated or uh, in different categories when it comes to that. But what separates us is, is when some 
what separates people is when they actually uh, apply the capacity. They get in there and they tap into it and they use it and they actually uh, work and persist and persevere and have that never quit, relentless, you know, never give up attitude and mentality. And so just in opening, you know, a question that I would present to us today is to say, what, if, what am I going after like that? What am I relentlessly pursuing in my life? What am I looking at and saying that no matter what the cost, no matter what presents itself, I will never quit. I will never give up. I am going forward with that and pursuing that at all ends. What is that? Is it, maybe there isn't anything right now for some of us, but what is, is there something like that that's in your life that you can look at and say, yes, that is something that I'm passionate about or that is something that I am relentless about. And so the title of my message today is Relentless Faith. Relentless Faith, because I'm going to kind of take this in a different direction now. And I believe that whenever it comes to our faith in our life, that it's very much like this, that we have to move from one experience and one situation to the next, to the next, to the next. And our faith has got to just continue to persist and persist and persist in front of one thing, obstacle after another, after another, after another. We were always going to have to continue to apply faith to new situations in our life on a continuous basis, and that will never stop. So relentless faith. The definition of relentless, I found this kind of interesting, is unyielding in severity or strictness, unrelenting, steady and persistent, unremitting. Unremitting. It just never stops. You know, you can put anything in front of, of it to try to hold it back, but it just keeps moving forward. You know, when they drill into the ground, whether they're drilling for oil or trying to get to certain mineral deposits in the earth, the drill moves faster or slower at different points, just depending on what type of substance it's up against, what it's facing. When you, put, when you move that drill through soil, loose dirt, that thing goes quick. It just moves. It's not a lot of effort required on the engine's part to, to power it. When it hits rock, it doesn't necessarily or seemingly move as fast as far as the amount of... Uh, uh, distance it's covering, but it still requires effort, maybe more effort, to drill hard and persist and pursue to break through that rock and open it up and penetrate until it moves on to the next thing. And so our faith, I, I believe, is really a lot like that in our life, where there's soil and dirt situations that we come into in our lives that our faith is still necessary for, but based on past experiences and, and things where God has moved and we've seen it. We have faith that is strong that we apply to the situation and we move through it. And then other times we get to things that are like rock to us that are hard. It seems like we're just working our faith and applying and applying and there's just very little distance that seems to be happening. We're not seeming to really move forward, but we're ultimately cracking and breaking away and eventually that thing breaks open and we move forward again. Our faith has got to be relentless in our life. And I want to just give you two foundational points before we get into the substance of the message today to really 
uh, submit to you why this is such a critical issue for every believer. First of all, number one is that you have everybody that's a child of God has the faith necessary in them to achieve the things that God would have them to achieve in their life and in the body of Christ. Romans 12.3 says, Paul's talking to the, to the people at the uh, Roman church and it looks like he's talking to some of the church leaders here more or less. And he says, For I say that through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So we have an understanding here from the scriptures that when we receive God as our Savior, Jesus as our Savior, and his Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, that supernaturally at that very moment we are endowed with a measure of faith in us that will allow us to begin to walk out and fulfill and achieve the godly purposes in our life. We are all given that measure of faith right from the beginning when we are born again. Now, he also goes on to say, this is interesting, a little bit later in verse 6, he says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them in proportion. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. And that, that last little part of that that says in proportion to our faith is what I want to hit on because he's, he's speaking about spiritual gifts in the church and he's saying that if, if we have certain gifts to use them, but then he's talking about prophecy and he says to use it in proportion to our faith. So there's almost this sense that like Paul is saying that we have different levels of faith and we can use that level of faith that's in us to apply to the spiritual gifts or the things that God has deposited in us to achieve God's results in this earth and in our life. So we're all given the measure of faith from the very beginning. And I love the way he puts this because he says, back there in verse 3, he said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Each person has a measure of faith. And I believe what he was trying to say to the leaders in the church here is when it comes to church business and, and the offices of ministry and ministering to people, don't, don't get a big head here. You're not the only ones that can do this stuff. You're not the only ones with this special faith to be able to minister the power of God to others. No, no, no. Everyone has a measure of faith. He's just kind of setting the record straight, making sure they understand. But then he goes on to say after that, but use your gifts in proportion to your faith. And I have found through my life and through many of others' lives that I've gleaned from that our faith is growing as a result of seeing God move in our life. When we see God supernaturally show up and do things that are unmistakably God, then our faith is increased and built as a result of that. And we move from one faith experience to the next, to the next, to the next, and our faith just continues to build and grow. And the proportion of our faith, which we can use in the situations of our lives, is increasing all the same. Does that make sense? So those are some of the points that I just wanted to really kind of open up with. But where I want to spend my time, uh, actually, I'm sorry, I got a second point. And the second point in the beginning is that the adversary, the devil, he is relentless in his pursuit towards us. So that is all the more reason why it's so critical for us to have a relentless faith 
in our life towards God's will being done and the enemy's will being destroyed and thwarted. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So the enemy, the devil, is most certainly relentless in his effort to devour us. There will never be a time in our life where he will cease or stop to keep attempting to destroy God's will happening in our life. It will never happen. You'll never hit a safe zone. You're never in the clear. Enemy's always got you in his sights. He'll bring different things at you at different times. But he will never, ever forget about the threat you are to him. And he will never, ever cease in his efforts to destroy you and God's will for you in your life. So again, all the more reason and evidence from Scripture here clearly why we have to have a relentless faith in our life. We have to have a relentless response to that relentless opposition which is coming at us from our enemy. He can't be more intense about it than what we are about God, God's will being done in our life. So I want to spend my time today preaching out of the book of 2 Kings, really from like chapters 18 to 20. I'm going to kind of move through a lot of different verses in here, but really what this is is the story of King Hezekiah. And I want to just point out a handful of things that I would say are lessons on relentless faith from King Hezekiah. Right off the bat in the, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 18, as it opens up verses 5 through 8, we see that Hezekiah was a godly man. He loved God and followed God with all his heart. It says here, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him and among all the kings of Judah nor were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. So he was holding fast to God's commands and God's will and his faith in God his entire life. He never deviated from that, where we know that many kings in, in the Bible, in fact, probably the majority of them at one point or another, swayed off course of their faith in serving God and, and served idols and did all kinds of other things. But the Bible tells us that Hezekiah held fast to God his entire life. And in about the 14th year of his reign, there's a very significant uh, threat that comes to Jerusalem and to Judah and faces King Hezekiah and the people of the land. And it's the army of the Assyrian Empire. And the king of Assyria is basically conquering a lot of the surrounding territories. And he just, you know, he's on a, a power run. He wants to just take everything over and control it. And so what happens is, is they show up at, uh, at the gates of Jerusalem. If you go to verse 17, uh, jumping around here, it says that they went with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah and went up and came to Jerusalem where they had come up and went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool. So they're actually like, picture this, the whole Assyrian empire and army, which we understand clearly from what's going on here that is much greater and larger than the army that's in Jerusalem right here. So the threat is right at the doorstep. It's right at the gates. It's looking us in the face. It's trying to intimidate him. 
And this is what the enemy will do to you. He will sometimes not come out and just blindside you with an attack because a lot of times we can respond to that and, and faith and, and something will happen and we can push that back. Sometimes the enemy will actually stand back and pound on the ground, get your attention and try and intimidate you with the size and the magnitude of the threat which he is bringing against you, which seemingly is much greater than the, the strength or the abilities that you have in yourself to be able to uh, come out of that threat or, or obviously defeat it. So they're standing at the gates. They're, they're pounding their spears. I can just picture that, you know, and the people of the, the city are probably terrified. And Hezekiah, his faith is being challenged. Man, it's time for the king, for the leader, for the man who loves God to find out what his faith is really all about. Moving a little bit further on into verse 25, the king of Assyria sends a messenger to Hezekiah, and he says, have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? For the Lord said to me, go up against the land and destroy it. Now, I thought this was a really profound thing, and I started studying this because I'm like, wow, he said, I've come up with the Lord. There was actually a prophecy uh, before all of this happened by Isaiah that talked about how the Assyrian Empire would actually you know, destroy and take captive the, Israel, the nation of Israel and the people of Judah, that, he would, that the Assyrian Empire would do this. So what, what, uh, what the Assyrian king is saying is he's trying to intimidate him even further with this idea that, hey, this is the prophecy that Isaiah... This is, now, he may not have known that, but most certainly King Hezekiah knew about the prophecy. So what I'm getting at is his faith. It's like, okay, it may be the fulfillment of that prophecy. It may not, but ultimately he had to go to his faith and say it doesn't really matter, it may or may not be, this Assyrian empire has been said to overtake the, Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Judah, but I am going to believe for a different report. I'm going to believe that even though that's what the, the prophet said, it may happen a different kind of way, I don't really know, but I'm not sealing our fate today and saying that it's close enough to what's supposed to happen, so this is probably our end. Let's just give up and surrender and let him take us. So he really had to continue to tap into that faith. Moving along into chapter 19. So Hezekiah, he, he basically is, okay, now he has to respond. He has to decide what he's going to do to this threat, how he's going to handle it, how he's going to lead his people through it. And he goes to, basically, uh, to the prophet Isaiah. He sends to him, and this is what he says, the messengers to tell him. This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. So there's, there's, the children are there. They're believing for something from God. He's believing for something in God. But what he's saying is that there's no strength to bring it forth. He's saying there's, we don't have the ability in ourselves. We're believing for victory. We're believing for God to move and show up and defeat this enemy. But we can't do it. We don't have the ability. We're outnumbered. We're outmanned. We don't have the weapons. They've got the advantage. They're around the city. We don't have the strength in us to bring this God purpose to fulfillment. We, we're, like, we're, we've, we're like children 
that have come to birth. We're there, we're ready, but we don't have the strength to finish the job, to come through and bring this thing to fruition and see it happen. We have to see a move of God in order for this to come to pass. But what he's doing is he's not losing faith. You see what I'm saying? His faith is still steady. It's still moving forward. He's got the enemy at his gates, and now he's moved on from that, and he's taking his faith to the next step, and he's saying it's time for God to show up I'm not giving up, so God's going to have to move because clearly we cannot overtake the enemy on our own. And he didn't know what was going to happen. And maybe God would have said, no, go out and blow a trumpet and they're going to die. Or maybe he would have said, you know, I'll overtake them if you'll just go to battle like he did to maybe Joshua or different, you know, Gideon. There's a lot of different commands that were given, but what they were is a response to an initial element of faith that existed in that person for what God was going to do. And so he's saying, we don't have the strength in us. God has to move. Then he goes on in in verse 4 later, and he says, we lift up our prayer for the remnant that is left. For the remnant that is left. The people that are left, the little bit of hope that is left, we we lift up our prayer, Isaiah, to God for what is left here for the people that remain, for the people that are not yet conquered, that have not fell into the, fallen to the enemy and his tactics, we just lift up our faith where what's left. And my point here is this, remnant faith, remnant. A lot of times, relentless faith does not look like some bold, momentous type of faith. I would have to say in this particular part that he was probably just mustering the faith up that he needed. But it was enough to still persist and keep going. And when you live a life of relentless faith, I'm telling you, it's not always gonna be some bold stand up and yell and scream and your faith is just bigger and better than anything in the land and everybody looks and says, man, that person just always has faith. Sometimes you'll just have a remnant of faith. You'll just have a little bit of faith But it's still faith, and it's still believing, and it's still knowing that God can move and needs to move. And it's still saying, I'm not surrendering to the enemy, and I'm not giving up, and I'm not calling it quits and driving my white flag in the ground. I'm going to fight and go till the end. And I got some faith left because I know who my God is, and I'm going to continue to press on. Remnant that is left. So then in verse 6, Isaiah responds to King Hezekiah, and he says, Do not be afraid. Of the words which you have heard from the king of Assyria. He goes on to say that the God of you, your God is in control. And so what happens is he gives him a confirmation that he's at work. He doesn't say what's going to happen. He doesn't say how it's going to happen. He just gives him confirmation that he's hearing his prayer. He's at work. And sometimes... God always knows what we need, right? It says in Corinthians that God will never allow you to go through more than you can handle. And I believe that when we're at our points where we're close to that line, then God shows up with something like this, like a confirmation, like a little sign that he's still there and he's still got your back and he still plans on showing up big for you and you're not going to fall to the defeat of the enemy. He gets a little word of confirmation from Isaiah the prophet that just says, don't be afraid of what you've heard of what the servants of the king of Assyria are blaspheming against me. Don't be afraid of that. It's enough to keep his faith going to the next thing. And guess what? Another thing comes. In verse 11, 
the king of Assyria sends and says, Have you not heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them? And shall you not be delivered also? It's funny how what the enemy really likes to do is remind you of how others have already failed at something that you are up against. As if to automatically insinuate that your fate is sealed too. That will a lot of times cause us and the, and the people of God to not even reach into themselves for the faith that they have because they accept this report or this finality that their fate is sealed or the situation is already done before it happens because so many others have fallen by the same way. And Hezekiah doesn't respond that way because he's got relentless faith. He keeps on going. And, he's, and the king is right. The Syria, he's right. They've defeated everybody. Chances are in the natural, it's going to happen to them too. But Hezekiah doesn't see in the natural. He's moving in his faith. He's not giving up. He's moving from one thing of faith to the next to the next. And this is how he responds in verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers about the king of Assyria, saying that all have fallen, will you not fall too? And listen to what he did. He read it, made a call <laughs> to God. He, he, he read it, and uh, Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. He spread it before the Lord. You know, there's going to come a point when what you face, what you're up against, the things the enemy has facing you head on, that there's only one thing that you can do with it. And that's just lay it at the feet of your heavenly father. The God of creation of heaven and earth that's responsible for everything. The God that gives and takes away. And just lay it before his feet and just let him do what he's going to do with it. He goes straight up and he lays it before the Lord. And I love this because he's, he's basically just saying, I've got nothing in me left. All I have is faith. Everything, there's, there's going to come times where faith is really all you have left. You don't have any more tools. You don't have any more great ideas. You don't have any more second chances with these people or that people. You, you ran out of all the other options. And the only thing you have left is faith. And he goes and he lays it at the greatest place I know to lay any threat that comes against us. And that's at the feet of our merciful, loving, heavenly Father that is always working on our behalf. Another thing that I just love about this is all through this process, God has not opened up an understanding to Hezekiah about how this thing is going to come through. Now, chances are for most of us, if God would have said something like, okay, go out and blow the trumpet ten times and they're going to fall, we'd have to still have faith. But God said that, so that would probably move us up a little bit, right? He doesn't have any idea how it's going to happen. He just has faith. And real faith exists when understanding does not. It's just a fact. And so we can see that from so many situations in the Bible that 
God is there doing things and moving and working. But for whatever reason, I don't know, he chooses not to reveal a certain measure of understanding to us about the situation or about how he intends to move that maybe we would really like to know ahead of time. But in God's sovereignty, he knows what's best for us, right? This was the whole deal with Job. Job went through his whole life against suffering and adversity for so many years, and he never understood what was going on. Now, the Bible tells us in the beginning and all that, that the devil came to God and said, I can get him to break and curse you. And God said, no, you can't. He loves me, and I'll give you permission to do whatever you want to do in his life. And so that was really what instigated the whole situation with Job going through his suffering. And there were, there were points where Job was even like crying out to God, show me, do something, give me understanding. I need to know, I need to understand. And finally, God responds and he's like, hey, have you controlled the morning since, since you've been born? Have you ever told the sun where to set? Have you, did you form the depths of the earth? You're telling me to give you understanding? Do I not know what's best, right? So if God chooses not, I'm not saying don't continue to, Pursue it and want to know and hear from God and all the time and what you're doing. All I'm saying is, baby, your faith better not be attached to the understanding that you may or may not get. Or your faith will not be relentless and continuing to persist in the moment whenever you need it most. When things are looking you in the eye that are threatening to destroy you. If your understanding is hinging upon your faith act being activated, then you're, you're already in trouble. Because sometimes you're going to have it and sometimes you're not. But you always need faith. Moving on in verse 19. As he laid it at the feet of God. The threat. He went on to say. Oh God I pray that you save us from his hand. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are Lord God, you alone. <clears throat> what I see here is I see a man who cares about his people, cares about his family, cares about his life, cares about his city. A lot of things he doesn't want to see happen. But what's really powering his faith, what's really moving him forward is that he wants to see the name of God glorified. He wants to see God made famous and his name known throughout the land. What is the substance for our faith? Is it so that we can come through the situation and stop suffering? Is it so we can be in a more convenient place? Is it so we can not have to deal with the problems and the issues that come along with going through a tough season those can be parts of it but if that's the substance that's driving your faith not to see God's name made famous and to see him show up in this thing I guess what I'm saying is is that that's got to be the root behind our faith activating and moving forward yeah, I want to get delivered from this. Yeah, I want to move through this. Yeah, I want to see that stop. Yeah, I want to see these evil things quit happening. I want to see this good start happening. I don't want to see people suffer. But above all that, before I get to that, I want to see God made famous. I want to see people know him. I want to see his name spread throughout the land. I want to see his kingdom advanced. I want to see his spirit poured out on all flesh. 
I want to see God's name made famous first and foremost. And when I think about that, that pushes my faith because I know God wants the same thing. I don't necessarily know if he wants to stop that right now or he wants to start that right now. But I know there is never a moment in time where God doesn't want his name to be glorified. And my faith can rest and grip on that every second and every minute of every day because that will never change. And then finally in verse 20, he goes on to say, because you have prayed to me against the king of Assyria, I have heard you. And he goes on to explain how he's going to deliver Hezekiah and Judah from the threat of the oppressor and from the Assyrian army. He even goes down in verse 35. This is just amazing. And here, then God finally shows up. It's probably a lot later than when Hezekiah wanted it to. Probably a lot later than the people of Judah wanted it to because they're sweating in their boots, you know. But he goes and he finally moves after all this and he goes and it says, It came to pass on a certain night the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. When the people arose in the morning, they saw all the corpses were dead and they basically fleed the land. And the king of Assyria ended up dying. His own people came in and assassinated him one evening whenever he was worshiping to his false god. So God ultimately moved. He showed up powerfully in a way that made his name famous that the people couldn't have done. He turned the enemy away. But my point is, is that he said, God said, because you have prayed, because you have had faith, God moves in situation. God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. But make no mistake about it. We see time and time again through the scriptures, God moves and shows up in response to the faith of his children. And he says, because you've prayed, because you've had faith, because you were relentless and you never gave up and you kept believing and kept believing from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, without understanding or without conditions. Because of this, I am showing up and I'm delivering you from the hand of the enemy that threatens you. What's really awesome is that a little later on in the story, King Hezekiah, which this is kind of what he's most famous for, actually, that people know, is that. He was sick and he was ill. And the prophet Isaiah comes to him and he says, God spoke to me to tell you that you're going to die. Get your house in order. This is from the Lord, right? This is something that the God sent a messenger to tell him. And you know what Hezekiah does? He just taps back into that relentless faith that's got him through all these other things. He says he turns away from the prophet from a man, and he faces the wall to the east, which I believe, if you study that, is towards the city of where the, where the uh, temple was. He faced the east, and he prayed to God to spare him, and he shed tears. And you know what happened? Before Isaiah even got out of the court, God spoke to Isaiah and said, go back, I got another message for Hezekiah. Tell him I've heard his prayer. I've seen his faith. I've seen his faith. I've seen his faith before, and I've seen it again. I've seen it again and again and again and again and again. And I've seen it. And I'm going to add 15 years to his life. And he was granted 15 more years of life. He saw his tears. He wasn't in some bold, momentous moment of faith when he did that. He was crying tears and weeping 
but he had a measure of faith in him, he knew God would still be able to move. And he still believed that God would show up for him. Even when the prophet Isaiah brought that report to him, that was probably, there was nothing more authentic in that time, in that day and age, than you could get than a word from Isaiah that the Lord had spoken. And still, Hezekiah had the faith to turn to God and away from man and say, I have faith, God. I believe you can show up. I pray that you spare me. I've served you. I love you. And I want to continue to live on this earth. Powerful. And I just want to kind of wrap up today just sharing a personal situation that I went through here recently that really helped just open this message up for me today. And it's regarding my grandpa. He's 81 years old, and he just, uh, just had open-heart surgery on Monday. He's been healthy all his life, never had any problems. He went to the doctor a few weeks ago, and they gave him a report, and they said uh, that um, they heard a murmur in his heart, you know, and so they wanted to do a test, and so they did a, an EKG, and EKG came back, and they saw some things that looked like, like clotting and uh, in his valve, and so they wanted to do a cardiac cath, which was the next step. And if that came back conclusive, then they were going to have to do open heart surgery. And uh, so this is t- this was a moment for faith. All right, and first thing that happened, I you know I knew what was going on. I knew he was probably dreading this, and I went over to his his house and just sat down and we prayed and just believed that God had His hand on him. And you know, God spoke to me and just said. Just tell him that, you know, he's, he's going through this now, but he doesn't see all the things I've held back from him for all these years that the enemy did want to bring at him. You know, it, just, it was just enough to build that faith right then in that moment to reassure us that everything was going to be okay. And then we went in to get the cardiac cath on Monday, and uh, the doctor comes in before the test has even shown up. I just happened to be able to stop by for a little bit that day. It was actually an hour late going in. For the test, I thought he was already going to be in there. And when I showed up, he hadn't gone. And no, no kidding, I was only there five minutes. And this doctor comes in and he says, you know, you basically, you know, you're going to have to have open heart surgery, right? And at this point, we're like, what? We thought that the test was, you know, going to uh, have to be done to confirm it. You know, may or may not be the case. He's like, oh, no, you, you're going to have to have open heart surgery. You know, we just need to go in and see how bad it is today. And I, I know I could just feel the the need for the faith at that moment where it was like this threat challenged and it faced us. And so I just, you know, he walked out, the doctor walked out and I just kind of waited on the Lord and I got up and I just put my hand on his chest and my mom and my uncle and my aunt and my grandma were all there and we just started praying. I just let God speak, just let God move while I had my hand on his chest. I didn't know this, but my grandpa said he could just feel the, the fire of God like warming his chest, warming his heart. And he just felt peace and comfort. And I just, God told me to have everybody face this one wall while we prayed. I thought it was really bizarre. I just, I almost didn't say that. But I'm like, you know, I just, everybody just face this wall. I don't know what it's all about, you know. And, uh, and I had shared actually with him, you know, hey, Hezekiah was giving him 15 more years. Don't, don't believe this report, you know. And, and so I said, just face the wall because I'd been reading that scripture. And uh, so we faced that wall and we just kept praying. And I believe, and then God spoke to me and said, tell him that, I'm the God that gives and I'm the God that takes away. And there's nothing that these doctors have seen 
that they haven't been allowed to understand or see, and I am still the one in control, not them. Put this faith in me and not in man. So we delivered that, and there was that faith was just boom. It you know it showed up again, and we kept moving forward. And then uh, and then the tests uh, before the test came back, I was really believing and really praying that those tests were going to show nothing, and they were going to be like, oh my gosh, there's nothing there. You know, I was really believing for that. And then the test came back, and it was conclusive that he needed to have surgery. And so I was like. Okay, you know, still believe he's going to be okay. God's still got a plan. He's still going to show up. That doesn't change anything, you know. And so I got to have relentless faith. I got to keep moving from one thing to the next to the next, you know. And then a number of things happened. The surgery went really well. And then the day after the surgery, they had a code blue situation where he all of a sudden started bleeding internally, lost all this blood, and they had to push my mom and grandma out of the room. And they came in and had to kind of bring him back and stuff. And it was like, oh my gosh, what's happening now, you know? And they said, well, he's bleeding internally and after a few hours, uh, half a day, they said, we're probably going to go back in and open him up, you know, and stop the bleeding. He's like, no, you know, having faith. We're believing that's not going to happen. So they gave him one more blood transfusion and some platelets, and the next morning, doctor came in, and he said, I don't believe it, but it's, it's stopping. You're, you're not going to have to have surgery, you know. And he's just like, my grandpa the whole time is like, the prayers, the prayers, the prayers, you know. God is good. God's doing it. God's doing it. And then they told him he's probably going to have to have a pacemaker because his heart's not really regulating its rhythm on its own. And he didn't really want to have that. So, all right, let's get back. Tap into our faith again, you know. Relentless faith. Believing. And a day and a half later, doc comes in. Not going to have to have a pacemaker, you know. And last night I talked to him, and he said, yeah, I said, I walked on my own today three times. He said, I walked to the end of the hall and back, and then I walked halfway around the, the block, and then I walked all the way around and cut through the middle. He said, so I walked three times, and it was more every time, and tomorrow, he said, I'm going to walk the whole thing. And, you know, look, what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to share is just just basically coming right out of that same message I got from Hezekiah that you're going to have to go from one thing to the next to the next to the next. And your faith's going to have to be there. It's going to have to keep showing up again and again and again. And don't be fooled into thinking that it's got to be some bold, momentous faith. It's got to be a remnant or a measure of faith. We all have in us what's needed, but our faith will grow and increase every time we show, seek God, show up and move in our lives. The enemy is relentless towards us. He's, he's got a relentless plan for you to destroy you. You have to have a relentless faith to oppose him and to push him back and break his back every time he comes against you with a new threat. Because as soon as one threat is stopped, another threat, he's already waiting to bring the next thing to your doorstep. And you better be ready to tap into that faith consistently again and again and again over time. Relentless faith persists in the absence of understanding. That is so key. And it's relentless faith is a growing faith. It's an advancing faith. It's a keep moving forward faith and an increasing one in the face of any opposition. And God's power never ceases to be available at work and never ceases to be available to us. We can have faith in that. God is all powerful all the time, never stops loving you, never stops thinking about you, never stops wanting to see his, his name glorified. You can have faith in that in every second of every situation you ever face. And so I just want to ask those of you that are here today, what, what are you relentless about? What are you continuing to push forward time after time after time again to achieve? What are you placing your faith in? Some people place their faith in themselves. Some people put it in others, money, a lot of different things. But I just want to say to all of you today that your faith has got to be in God and God alone. 
that he is the one in control of everything. And he is the one all-powerful and able to bring you through and out of anything. He is our only hope.